from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio at the Gas South Convention Center in Duluth, Georgia, welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, proudly presented by NEMA and Sourced. And hello again, all you powerhouse listeners, Amanda Peerch Marmalejo in studio today with our guest, Shannon Brooks. As you know, this is the series that salutes and recognizes women leaders making an impact on Business Radio X. Welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. Now, you guys can't see, but you will when the photos come out because Shannon is rocking a vibrant yellow shirt, and she also has a mic sock to match. So we are twinning, and I love it. Um, It's a depiction of her personality. Shannon is the owner of um, Shannon Brooks Consulting, and that is a fractional COO service. So Chief Operating Officer, for those that are not familiar with the acronym, and I will let her expand upon what she does with her consulting firm. Absolutely. So fractional COO, um, in case some aren't familiar with the term, that basically means scalable. So it is all of the expertise and years of experience of an executive, but at that scalable level. So you can get as much or as little support as you need as a business owner or or management team. So I work with small and medium-sized businesses. I really help them scale sustainably and retain their top talent, which we all know gets harder and harder every day. And a lot of times those are some of the foundational basics that companies need. They need process development. They need standardization. People want to know what's expected of them and how to be successful in their job. And a lot of the structure that helps inform that is part of what goes through operations. So I help companies figure that out as they continue to grow. How would a company know that they were even in need of your services outside from not having an outline COO within their organization? Who would be crying out for help to someone like you? So that's a great question. Um, A lot of times what people, owners especially, have is that moment of, I have these ideas, I have these things, but why aren't we making traction? Why aren't we making progress in these areas? Why why aren't we able to execute on all of these fantastic ideas that um, company owners often have? And it's because there's that... There's usually a partnership of the visionary, someone who comes up with those ideas, and then the strategist who helps implement it. How do we take that idea, turn it into action, figure out how to start implementing it, and supporting the team as they start moving into that? So when companies find themselves, owners especially, with this, oh my gosh, we have all these great ideas, but we're not making as much progress as quickly as I would like, that a lot of times is where I can come in Mm -hmm. and help with that. The other time that I I can come in and I have on a couple of occasions is when teams are struggling a little bit and there have been um, meltdowns of sorts Mm. uh, where employees are struggling, people leave, um, and a lot of times that's the structural side. So those two things a lot of times are, are triggers for, hey, maybe we can get some outside help and either help shore some things up for somebody or really help us keep moving forward into that next level and do it in a way where we can do it sustainably, stay in business, not outgrow ourselves, um, and really be successful at the next level. How do you apply that template or that um, method, shall I say, to different industries? And I'll give you an example. Let's say I own 35 Little Caesars pizzas. 
well, obviously, if I own 35, I'd probably have a COO. <laughs> so smaller. <laughs> if I, for pizzas versus maybe manufacturing or technology, how do you kind of adapt your protocols to the specific industry? Mm-hmm. So um, I do work with a number of different industries. And a lot of times the, the foundation of the operational needs are the same. I always want to start with a discovery um, session. So I like coming in. I like talking to all of the individuals on the team and really understanding what they need, what their pain points are. I'm also a firm believer that you don't fix what's not broken. So I always want to know what's working for people. What do they like? What actually helps them do their job? But then also, where are the biggest pain points? What are the biggest challenges to their day? What keeps them from doing what they believe their job is the most? And getting that discovery going, regardless of the industry, helps us figure out where those needs are. And then from there, kind of moving into specifics for each company, regardless of industry, but really specific to the company where is it product? So now do we need to think about customers and manufacturing and the details of the parts and the quality and the warranty? Or is it service-based where it's a support team for um, for service a service industry. So what do the customers need? How quickly are we answering the phone? How many calls are we not getting? What do those things um, mean? So it's a lot less industry specific. It's a lot more individual company yeah. specific. And sounds like personalized as well. Yes. You really take the time to deep dive in that discovery phase, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You have been wearing this hat as a fractional COO for since 2015. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. Now tell me a little bit about what you've learned since 2015 to now about how you're able to help your clients. Oh man, I've learned so many things. (laughs) Almost a decade, right? Oh, when you say it like that. In 2025? Well, hey, that sounds like a good tenure. Yeah. Yeah. A good solid eight years, my favorite number. Is it? Um, It is. Because when you turn it sideways, it looks like infinity? Because it can create every other number. When you do the the digital eight, I'm gonna have to write this down. Now. It creates every other number. It holds everything else within it. Wow, very cool. We got <laughs> sidetracked. Well, we're gonna come back to that. <laughs> Fair enough. So um, things that I've learned. So what I've learned is a number of things. Uh, I would say one of my biggest lessons has been everybody's perspective is their reality. So if you don't take the time to understand everyone's perspective, the owner's perspective, the individual's executing the work's perspective, customer's perspective. There are times where I do um, customer surveys as well. If you don't take the time to understand the perspective, you're not going to be able to actually help them create any sort of change along the way. So I think that's one of the biggest lessons that it took me a minute to, to really absorb is you have to take that time. It's that old adage, measure twice, cut once. Take the time to really understand what you're trying to solve, and then you can start to figure out the, the solutions. And the other lesson that I've learned over time, I think, I think people get more comfortable with it with age, is collaborating on the solution. I don't have to be the one that has all of the answers. No one really is the one with all of the answers. Every solution is stronger. The more perspectives, the more diverse ideas, the more inclusion there is into solving it because everyone's going to be affected by the solution so why wouldn't you want everybody's perspective in that and when people build on a 
yes and yes and mentality, it just keeps getting better. It's kind of like bringing improv into business, which I know a lot of people do, and I love it. <laughs> there was a twinkle in your eye when you said that. First, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. I was taking ferocious notes because I really identified with what you said. Every solution is stronger with more perspective. If companies, if organizations of the world adopted that, then we would be in a very different place. Mm -hmm. Something tells me you might have been in, uh, involved in some sort of artistic program in school, maybe. Were you? Oh, I wish I was. Um, I love to think of myself as creative. I love photography. I dabble in watercoloring. Um, I actually have dual degrees in marketing and psychology, and psychology was part of the liberal arts school. Um, and I started my career in advertising, so I've always said that I have worked creative adjacent. So there have been art directors and copywriters and these people who have... I've been in awe of my whole life of, please come up with this idea very specific to these parameters, go. And they go off and they come back with 20 new ideas that you're like, how did you do that at your lunch break? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's before chat GPT existed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit, definitely. <laughs> well, you mentioned improv. That's what made me um, think that maybe you're in some sort of performing arts. I wish that I was, but I was not. I do like to think of myself as a creative problem solver. And I think that's part of where improv comes in. I think that personal connection, even in discovery, I, I have some questions that I follow as I go through discovery, but it really is a conversation based on what the person is saying and how they're reacting and what they're showing me so that I can try to understand better what their perspective is. Tell us about where you grew up, a little bit about your childhood upbringing and who instilled this ability to see such a broad spectrum of perspective in your life. Um, I grew up in Indiana. I'm a Midwestern girl, born and raised, uh, and I grew up on a farm. Uh, my mother was a teacher her entire life. My father was a farmer. My brother has taken over the family farm now. So I grew up on in a very dichotomous um, household where... There was the hard work, the immediate consequences of either you get things done or you don't while the sun's out. Um, Farming-wise, the academic side of, and my mom was a, a gifted and talented teacher too. She, was, she is an incredible woman and was an amazing teacher. Um, that, that academic side of analysis and critical thinking, so bringing those two together in a way that... Um, is the, there are consequences to everything that we do. There needs to be a plan to accomplish everything we need to accomplish. And at the same time, the critical thinking throughout to constantly evaluate and evolve the plan so that you ultimately accomplish what you're trying to do. That was the household I grew up in. <laughs> Did you have any brothers or sisters? I have one brother. Um, he is 11 years younger than me. I say he was a very planned accident. <laughs> <laughs> My family was like, yes, you're going to have a brother. And then the world was like, no, not, not for yet. a minute. And then there was a surprise one day. Um, but I, I came to Auburn University down in Alabama when he started first grade. So... Um. We kind of grew up, I, I say my folks had two only children in the exact same household. <laughs> Which makes total sense. <laughs> Tell me about your experience in college. Oh, I loved college. Auburn was so much fun. Um, I started out, I had decided at seven, seven years old, I believe, 
I was one of those people who was like, I know what I'm going to do when I grow up. I am going to train Shamu at SeaWorld. Yes. This is what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to school for marine biology. I learned the realities of what training Shamu at SeaWorld would involve. I pivoted to fashion merchandising for a hot second because I wanted to be like the Devil Wears Prada before the movie was out. Mm And then mom was like, so you should probably get a degree that you can actually make a living at. So just pick something in business. I don't care what. So I did just a a general business degree. And I was like, well, but that's not as much fun. Let me take psychology classes, too. Mm -hmm. So I ended up with dual degrees. And I've said ever since that um, I got my first job because of my marketing degree. And I have stayed employed and sane ever since because of my psychology degree. Mm, I love that. Are you able to, well, congratulations on your your dual degree. Um, there. Are you able to use what you learned uh, psychology wise at all in business? You know, we had a discussion uh, comically before the show about personal habits and one might mistake those for other things um, in conversation. But we all know leaning forward or putting your hands in a certain manner. Do you use the tools in your box that you acquired throughout your degree in business? I absolutely do. Um, I think being able to relate to people, being able to understand body language, and and honestly, even the psychology background gave me some of that perspective of everybody's perspective is their reality. So I think psychology has informed everything that I've done since then. I also, one of my values, both personally and professionally, is to live curiously. And I think a lot of that comes from that psychology background, as well as my family. Um, And it really informs... If I assume I know less and I ask more questions than I give answers, I tend to find better answers. Hmm. So that kind of psychology has definitely informed everything that I do and how I interact with different companies and different individuals. You mentioned earlier understanding, and that stood out to me as I wrote it down. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Paige Berry, and she said, seek first to understand. And it made me think of exactly what you were saying. I love that saying. Give me an example of where someone has had to show a tremendous amount of understanding to you, possibly. Hmm. Show a tremendous amount of understanding to me. Or where you've had to show a tremendous amount of understanding. (laughs) You're like, oh my goodness, what have I done? I was like, yeah, I was like, "Um, what was something that I did that someone had to understand? Uh, There's probably a lot of those. Um, So there, one of the first clients that I worked with is, uh, this is one example. One of the first clients I worked with, as I was figuring out exactly how I wanted um, that discovery phase to go, I did the, you know, what are your pain points and tell me a little bit about your business and what you're trying to accomplish. And I, I put more weight to what they believe the pain points were than the team. That was part of, part of what I learned as I started this business. And part of the understanding was I didn't set the groundwork initially of I'm going to talk to your team. I'm going to listen to what they have to say about the pain points as well. I'm going to circle back with you on all of this. But I did all of that because I knew that there was more to the puzzle. When I came back to that owner and said, so it turns out there are some other things that we probably should talk about as well. That was a moment of um, trying to provide a, a different level of understanding and helping them navigate some different information that really was surprising to them. They thought that things were in a different place for some of those folks, and it wasn't, and it was a vulnerable time for both them and for the owner, and 
helping everyone navigate. Okay, so this doesn't mean that things are bad. This just means there's some things to work on and we're all in this together. And getting everyone to lean into this together and address the challenges that everyone was feeling was a moment of understanding that, that I credit that owner to that really was hard for everyone, myself included, of, okay, how do we navigate this? Because we know that without addressing these things, we aren't going to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And there's no ill will of not wanting to address them. It's just feeling completely blindsided that some of some of the challenges were actually the owner. Like you said, that speaks to, I guess, their professional awareness um, of understanding that there's something that needs to be corrected and, mm -hmm. and kudos to solving that problem. Do you find that most business owners in, in your world are receptive to um, kind of the constructive criticism or the the not so beautiful things that you have to identify? Um, are they receptive to hearing those things and then the possibility of change? The, the people that I work with are, um, and part of what I have learned is those are the people I want to work with. Um, I believe that, and I think Richard Branson said a version of this more than once, if you take care of your employees, if you take care of their needs and set them up for success, they will take care of your customers. You don't have to worry about that. They will. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in that. So I seek companies who care as much, if not more, about their employees than their business. And then we are aligned on the values of what we're trying to accomplish. And I can, I can help them with whatever that is. They can be receptive to those messages. And also, I'm, I'm very mindful of everybody's perspective as their reality. So as we work through these challenges, um, I guess that's another way that the psychology degree helps me too helping them be receptive to and preparing them for um, some of the information along the way so that they can hear it in a constructive way and, and work together differently. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Speaking of outstanding companies who treat their employees well, we're going to have a word from our sponsors. NEMA is a full-service logistics company that provides trucking, warehousing, and expedited deliveries for the paper machine clothing industry. They offer a full line of services, including delivery within the 48 contiguous states, Canada, and Mexico, plus importing and exporting, air freight forwarding services, foreign trade zone warehousing, and many more services to handle your global logistics needs. NEMA is a proud sponsor of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women podcast series. We know running a business is hard. There are so many things that need to get done and you don't have the time, the resources, the experience, or you just don't want to do it yourself. At Sourced, we have your back. Office. We support leaders of companies with all their back office challenges that weigh them down. Whether it's accounting, talent acquisition, administrative support, marketing or human resources, our team of experts at Sourced will make your life easy and your back office effortless. To see how we can help you, check us out at GetSourced.com. All right, and welcome back, friends. Amanda Pierce Marmalejo here on Celebrating Powerhouse Women with our guest today, Shannon Brooks. I was learning about all the intricacies of her business before the break, and she was sharing some of her, her professional experience with us. But now I'd like to uh, take a turn and talk about some personal things, if we may. Absolutely. So in a world that is so hustle and bustle, and with all of the balls that you have to juggle, what do you do in order to remain balanced and sane? 
It not is, insane and <laughs> sane. And sane. I, I won't lie. It is hard. Um, some days I'm better at it than others. Uh, there are a couple of things that I do. One, I actually volunteer at the Chastain Horse Park, their therapeutic program, every week. Um, I grew up on a farm. I grew up with horses. I am an animal lover at heart. And I learned a long time ago, especially living in the city, which I love living in the city, but I need contact with animals more. Um, and I have a hard time with shelters, although I absolutely respect anyone who can volunteer at a shelter. I would have to buy a very large house and have hundreds of cats and dogs running around if I did that. We know someone that did that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't judge at all. <laughs> um, so that's one thing that I do. It is a sacred space. It has at times been very hard to you know, there's that meeting request and, hey, this one time and, oh, we just need to, and finding that balance and those boundaries. Um, when you find something that you're really passionate about, it helps. It, it has helped me practice boundaries, which I think is ultimately the, the answer to being able to have that balance is uh, deciding what your boundaries are and being able to adhere to those and then having working with a, a company having owners and bosses that and supervisors that respect that um, so that's one way that I've done that and it's taught me a lot I will say um, I actually just had this conversation last week with somebody that I'm working with right now I learn from the people that I work with all the time I'm working with one manager who she is phenomenal at working with boundaries she does a lot of work. She is 150% committed during, um, during the hours that she is working. She is totally focused. But there are certain things. There's a dinner time and there's weekends. And she has specific boundaries that she has decided are the most important thing for her as far as boundaries go. And she adheres to them wholeheartedly. And I learn from her all the time, even just talking to her. Beyond that, I try to, I mean, it's those little things, right? Especially I'm lucky enough to, to work from home, which is for some people and not for others, but I do like working from home. So I'll take a walk around the block in between meetings. Um, I need outdoors, sunshine, fresh air, looking at trees for a minute. Um, I do have a cat. Um, so having kitty cuddle time in the middle of the afternoon for a hot second, like all of those things that just kind of change the, the brain receptors and really release those stress. Endorphins. Yes. Those stress relieving endorphins and serotonin to, to give you those moments of joy and recharge. I do believe that you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you don't take care of yourself first, you can't take care of your family, your team, your company, whatever matters most to you, if you aren't taking care of yourself first, you'll have nothing to give at a certain point. I'd like to expand on that, if we may. Mm -hmm. Boundaries are something that just came to me when you're talking. I, I have boundaries, yes, but as far as work, it's, it's always going. It doesn't matter if it's email, social media, if it's 9, 12, 3 a.m., it doesn't matter what time. In putting some of those things in place for yourself, personally and professionally, how do you, I guess, retrain your brain to adhere to the boundaries that you set for yourself? Because mm -hmm. you're used to saying yes or taking on more. So just from your own personal experience, how did you put those in place and then kind of, you know, make sure that they were maintained? Well, and I'll be really honest, this, this is one of the hardest lessons I've learned professionally. I was not good at this early in my career. I was 110% work. I did not have an end time. It 
could stretch into the middle of the night. Um, and it wasn't healthy. And honestly, I had to kind of go through that to, to learn how important it was to me to have something to pour back. I didn't realize how depleted I was and honestly how poorly I felt like I was doing my job because I had nothing left to give. So I had to learn that lesson first to be motivated enough to then be able to adhere to the boundaries that I really needed. Since then, I've, I've done a couple of things. Um, I, I have that volunteer time that I really hold sacred. I try to make plans with people at least a couple of days a week so that I have a stopping point and a recharging point. Mm. Um, I'm also an introvert at heart. I'm an introvert who plays an extrovert in business, I say. Um, so I make sure that I have some of that time to just sit and do nothing. I have a hard time sitting on the couch, not doing anything. I have a really hard time. So I try to read, um, I used to read a whole bunch. I don't read nearly as much, I think, because I read so many emails every day. So I'm trying to find space to read a little bit more again. I am about to try a new trick that I learned from a friend of mine where she has put her own child guards on her phone Wow! for Instagram and for any of those things where she would find herself going down a rabbit hole for hours. I'm like, I'm going to have to put my own parent controls onto my phone. phone. Yep, and you can't have more than an hour of some of these things. And she puts the two not disturb on way earlier than I do. I'm a bit of a night owl. Mm-hmm. Um, but those things, the do not disturb definitely helps too. Um, to create some of those boundaries in that space for you just to, just to be. Um, my next goal is to work more meditation into my day. Oh. But that's, a, that's one in progress. <laughs> well, I'll check back with you in six months to a year. And you mm-hmm. let me know how that goes. <laughs> I don't know that I would be able to sit still in order to get into that meditative headspace or state. I find comfort and relief in nature, much like you. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you because my nephew, he does equestrian therapy in Virginia, mm-hmm. and there is a horse rescue farm out there called Sprouts, mm-hmm. and we support that nonprofit. And I'm a big fan. He helps out with, you know, maintaining the horses. Where is Chastain Horse Farm located? So Chastain is actually, I think, the only horse farm that is inside city limits. It's in Chastain, just north of Buckhead in Atlanta. Um, right, It's actually, if anybody's ever been to Chastain Amphitheater mm-hmm. in Atlanta, it's literally right next door. Right there? Okay. But all you see is parking lots, so it's easy to miss that there's actually a big horse farm and a bunch of arenas back there. Um, and then they have, they have amazing people that work there. They have um, therapeutic leaders who have gone through... I can't even imagine how much training. Um, And they have all of the facilities set up to really help people who may have physical issues, you know, uh, um, motion issues, Mm -hmm. getting up on horses, being able to do anything like that. And then an army of volunteers who hold them on the horses, who lead the horses, who help take care of the horses so that these people can have this experience. And if ever you need a minute to get out of your own life and whatever you think your problems are and remember how fortunate we all are every day spend a minute with some people who are overcoming crazy obstacles without blinking an eye Mm -hmm. and just continuing to move forward and enjoying every single moment of it that's what I love it's really it's it's very humbling I know exactly what you're speaking of 
I mentioned that I went to a really unique ladies event last night and I wanted to incorporate some of the talking points in our conversation. So will you indulge me in a little bit of a game? Please. Okay. So what characteristics make up a good leader to you? What characteristics make up a good leader? Listening, I would say first and foremost, um, it's hard to know what people need if you don't hear what they're asking for. Um, compassion and accountability, and those two balanced, I think is, is critical to good leadership and also really hard to be sympathetic, empathetic, to be able to try to put yourself in their shoes and understand what they're going through and what they really need, but at the same time, being direct and sometimes uncomfortably direct. Um, I don't like to use the word confrontational, but that's how a lot of people interpret it in saying, here's exactly what we need to do, or here's exactly what I need from you, and here you go. You know, How are we going to accomplish that? Let's move forward from here. Here's what worked, here's what didn't, here's what we can do next time to make things better. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's uncomfortable for people sometimes. Um, but yeah, that, that direct conversation I think is, is key. And then you know, as leaders develop, as their teams develop, the next, um, I would say the next skill is being able to ask more questions than give direction. Where do you think we should go from here? What do you think we should do next? That I think is the, the tipping point of kind of moving into leadership that is a different level of building the team beneath you. Speaking of building the team beneath you, um, many leaders that I've spoken with talk about the importance of reaching back and, and pulling forward the next generation or just not even a succession, but just the next. Can you give me an example of a time where someone did that with you or you did that with someone else? I have been very fortunate um, throughout my career to work with really strong female leaders. My first boss right out of school was a, uh, a woman, uh, actually my next four were also women, um, and they were all amazing women who wanted to teach what they knew, and they were excited when people advanced and understood and, and went off in different directions sometimes than where they were going, but continued to really be supportive. And I think it's so important for women to support each other in that bringing them in the room. It is, again, kind of that idea of diverse, um, diverse perspectives and including everyone's ideas. And so I, I was lucky enough to have a couple of really good um, supervisors, bosses, mentors, who would invite me into the room in, in meetings that I wouldn't normally be in, ideation meetings, brainstorming meetings, planning meetings before I did those things for a living that you know, you don't know what you're doing. And the first time you're in that room, you probably feel, I certainly felt a little bit like a deer caught in the headlights and was like, oh, what am I supposed to do here? How much am I supposed to contribute? What should I say? What should I not? You know, you want to do the right thing. And they did a great job of being like, just, just come in and be. Listen, if that's all that there is, if you have something that you want to share, please don't hesitate. Like all ideas are welcome. So I was lucky enough to experience that early in my career and have tried really hard to be mindful of continuing to do that as I have continued in my career. I want people to be exposed, um, women especially. Uh, I want women to be exposed to more situations and opportunities than maybe they would be just for their job. Mm -hmm. And I want to give them a safe space in, in experiencing that to either 
participate if they want to or observe if they need to mm-hmm. or any combination of that and also give them more than one shot because I think sometimes that first one you just want to understand a little more and then you get more comfortable contributing. But if you don't feel that pressure, then it will be authentic and it will be a good experience for everyone so that then they're not afraid of that situation and avoiding it in the future because we definitely don't need that. I would say that that exposure definitely served you well, and I can see the benefit to others maybe doing something similar. If you were to give me three adjectives that describe yourself, what the, what would they be? Mm. Curious, definitely. Um, mindful, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Aspirationally. Um, and intentional, I think. I, I do believe, I, I, like I said, I, I learned very young that, that every, everything is a choice and every choice has consequences. And consequences aren't necessarily bad, but there is going to be a next. So you need to think about that. So being intentional in the people you invite into the room, being intentional about asking more questions than giving more answers, being intentional about how you choose to listen to someone who is willing to give their perspective and share their time with you. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that those are, are some of those adjectives. Those, those are sizzling adjectives. <laughs> I like those a lot. I want to go back to your youth, if I may, and I already pre-warned you about my uh, condition, squirrel brain. <laughs> you know, you're talking about farms and you're talking about upbringing in the country. I'm from Brooks, Georgia. I'm a country girl myself. And you know, that just lives in your heart forever. Yep. What is one of your favorite childhood memories? growing up on the farm? Honestly, one of my favorite childhood memories, um, I've talked a lot about horses on this this podcast. Um, one of my favorite childhood memories is running through a field. So I had this one horse and we both liked to go fast. Um, and I had two dogs that followed me everywhere and we're literally running through this wheat field. Sorry, dad. Um, <laughs> back towards the house, wide open space. And he's just hauling butt Mm -hmm. flat out through this field with these two dogs running on both sides of me. And that moment of freedom and just, I guess it is still that mindfulness, that meditation in the moment of just living in this moment. Mm -hmm. There isn't a next, there isn't a need, there isn't something that I need to be doing next. I don't need to be thinking about my to-do list. I don't have to worry about what expectations I'm putting on myself in the moments to come. That moment was perfect, and I love it. Sounds peaceful. Mm-hmm. I have this image of your horse running through a wheat field with two dogs parallel <laughs> on each of his flank. That's amazing. Well, while we're still in our DeLorean and we're in your youth, mm-hmm. if you could tell your 21-year-old self anything, what would it be? Mm. If I could tell my 21-year-old self anything, I would probably tell her to trust her intuition more. It has taken me a lifetime, and I still, again, I'm constantly learning. I am a lifelong learner. Um, But it has taken me a long time to trust when my intuition is truly saying something to me, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, it It isn't super talkative. But when I have those moments of, this is exactly what I should be doing in the moment. This isn't what I should be doing in the moment. 
professionally, this isn't going to be the right fit, but I just really want to see if I can solve this problem, put this puzzle together, meet this challenge. But my intuition says, this isn't, you're not trying to solve the same things they are. It's taken me a while to get comfortable listening to that and being okay with whatever the answer is, trusting that whatever the answer is, is the right answer for me in that moment. And then also to recognize, I'd say I'd, I'd also tell my 21-year-old self, the answers that you had then don't have to be your answers forever. Hmm. You will constantly evolve. Your knowledge will constantly change. Your, your needs, your wants, your priorities will always evolve. Don't ever assume that an answer that you decided for yourself once is the only answer you will ever have. I'm writing it down. I retain information after writing it down. I'm the same You're way. just spitting all this wisdom today. <laughs> oh my goodness. So talking about like creativity and outlets, you were talking about wanting to um, start reading again mm -hmm. um, more. Do you do any writing? Do you do any journaling? Do you do anything to put your, th to get your thoughts out of your mind and maybe kind of formalize them? I find it therapeutic. I do. So I do journaling. Um, I also do a little bit of writing. I, I've written some for Forbes. I've done some little <laughs> nuggets of, of knowledge and answering questions that they have along the way. I've written a couple of articles. I feel like at some point in my future, there may be a book. I have no idea what it is, but I've always wanted to write something like that. Um, but yeah, journaling has been a huge part of that for me. And um a, a non-writing version of that in um, visualizations and meditation mm -hmm. have been another part of that. Kind of, it helps, it has helped me um, rewrite some of my stories of my childhood. As you gain distance and perspective, you start to change that narrative a little bit. So I would say even some of that is some of my writing, changing my narrative. Change your narrative might be a good title for the book. Change your narrative. Mm -hmm. I do want to give you an opportunity as I've circled all the way around the block and back. When you and I spoke previous to this interview, you talked about um, excelling greatly at helping small businesses uh, with the scalability and the variety of businesses that you've impacted. And I wanted to let you maybe talk a little bit more about that if you'd like. Uh, sure. So I, I have worked with a range of companies. Um, I'm working with a manufacturer now that I have learned more about binocular manufacturing than I ever thought that I would. Actually, every company that I work for, um, I learned so much about the businesses that they're in and what the intricacies are of their success that it's fascinating to me. It's it's part of why I love what I do, because I am a lifelong learner, thanks to my mom being a teacher. So I always want to learn new things. Um, and what, I've, what I have found that um, when companies work with me from a perspective of setting people up for success, and kind of like I was saying before, when you take care of your employees, they'll take care of the business for you. They'll take care of the customers. So when I really start from a place of being able to help customer or sorry help businesses take care of their employees it is the best of both worlds um, I do get to mentor a lot of middle management first-time managers uh, it's a, a personal passion of mine kind of goes back to some of what we were talking about before but I've also restructured whole companies I've helped companies save 
five figures a month in expenses. Um, I've helped people kind of reorganize their financial priorities to be better prepared for scalability. Um, I've helped some companies who are in the midst of scaling who maybe weren't quite financially where they needed to be for the scale that they're trying to get to restructure and and replan some of that so that they can navigate that scalability. Um, and I love the other part of probably my psychology background is I love building teams. So working with managers on how they can support their teams, even to the point of recruiting and interviewing, I think my psychology and curiosity come into those of like, trying to find the right person and the right role to combine. If you find someone who has the skills for the job that you're looking for, but not the right values, they're gonna be miserable. They're gonna be able to do the job for you, but they're not gonna enjoy it. If you find somebody who's a great personality fit, but they don't have the fundamental skills that you need, and you're not in a place to be able to train them, then it's still not gonna be a fit. They, you know, everybody around the office will love them, but they'll still be mad that they're not getting their job done. Um, I've built whole training programs, which is part of setting people up for success. I think training so often is the thing that's easy for businesses to overlook um, from onboarding because you only get one chance to right. make a first impression. <laughs> so what are those first days, that first week? What do those programs look like? Um, to specific trainings about just don't have assumptions. So if you tell someone everything about the company that you can think of. Here's what our hours are. Here's, especially in a hybrid world, a lot of the assumptions I've seen recently have been, yeah, you're, you're allowed to be home part of the time, but we want you in the office part of the time, but you figure out what works for you. And then they're like, okay, but what do you want? Mm -hmm. Like, does that mean I need to be here two days a week? Do I need to be here three days a week? And if people don't, if the companies don't say, this is our policy, right. because they want to be as flexible as possible to keep employees, they think, it creates this gray space that then nobody knows how to operate mm. or what to do. So helping to create that structure where, okay, where can we have flexibility, but at the same time, how, if there's something that you expect, how do we articulate that so that people know how to be successful for you? And understand the expectation. Exactly. I think I could talk to you about this for a long <laughs> while now. Um, and if any of our listeners are curious and want to connect with you to learn more, can they find you on LinkedIn? Um, I have your website here. May I share it? Absolutely. All right. So Shannon Brooks Consulting, spelled all the way out, dot com. Visit her on the web, also on LinkedIn, as yeah. H-A-N-N-O-N-B-R-O-O-K-S. <laughs> so here on the final, the back nine of our segment, Shannon, I would like to give you the opportunity to share some words of wisdom with our listeners. So um, I would say probably some of the, the best words of wisdom I ever received and have helped me the most professionally have been, don't assume everything is personal. We as, as human beings tend to think everything is about us first, especially, and a lot of times as, as women, to judge ourselves first. If there's a problem, what did I do wrong? They're going to think I did something wrong. You know, what do they think I did wrong? What could I have done differently? The sooner I was able to figure out, nine times out of ten, it's not about us. And not only that, so much written communication doesn't have a tone. Read it, zero tone and then think about what it's actually saying, if it isn't saying something about you. 
those are the two things that really changed my entire interaction with remote teams especially. Um, I think those are some of the, the best words of wisdom I could ever get. It's so hard. It's easy to say, yeah, 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 I know it's not personal, but, and then here's all of the reasons that it's personal. Yeah. And it's not. Nine times out of 10, if you actually are able to have that conversation with whoever the other side of that conversation is and say, so you think that I'm not doing a good job? And they're like, no, I'm saying this customer didn't get this thing that we said that we'd give them and we need to give it to them. Like, that's it. Nothing There's no it. judgment. Yeah. yeah. There's no judgment and it's not personal. And a lot of times, um, I think we are a lot like icebergs. You know, people may be, we see that little top part of whatever the interaction was with us directly in that moment. But maybe their dog's sick, their kid's sick, their house is dirty, they've got a million things yeah. on the to-do list, the holidays are coming up, and oh my gosh, I'm going to have to make cookies, I'm going to have to do the Christmas shopping, and we've got that school program, and all of the other things, and then there's a short response to whatever the question was, or the ask for information, and somebody's like, oh, now they're mad at me, I don't even know what I did. Right. They're not even thinking about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have been guilty of reading texts like with a tone. Mm-hmm. I'll think like my sister's being sassy to me or something. I'm like, what's your problem? Like, she's like, I'm at work. I'm busy, you know? So that's very good advice. Thank you for sharing that with everybody out there. As you know, this is um, our show that is live every Friday at 1130. You can find it wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Where do you listen to your podcast, Shan? I listen to my podcast on Podcast Attic and Spotify. Podcast Attic? I'll have to check that one out. I'm a Spotify girl myself. And you can subscribe if you find value in this series. We would love to hear from you and hit that five-star review. I am your host, Amanda Pierce Marmalejo, and this is Celebrating Powerhouse Women on Business Radio X. 